Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me today on a podcast I had not planned to record. You might have noticed that this is a bit of a provocative title for this podcast. Simply 2020 Go Home, You Are Drunk. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to explain just why from a strictly UGA football point of view 2020 has already shown itself in the first eight days of this year to be completely drunk and uh, already full of enough drama for an entire year and it's only been a week outside of the fact that the news media outlets were reporting over the last few days that world war three could be imminent it doesn't look like uh, world war three is going to happen now so that's good for everybody involved And on top of the fact that in the last hour or two, when I've been gathering my research and making my notes, preparing for uh, recording this podcast, it turns out that perhaps maybe the most notable name uh, to enter their name into the transfer portal today is actually Prince Harry of England, who, along with his wife, Meghan Markle, are apparently quitting the royal family in England. That might not be something that uh, you care about a whole lot, but even if it's not something that piques your interest, I think it's just further evidence that 2020 is completely drunk and needs to go home. What we're going to do today is I'm going to walk you from the Sugar Bowl, which was just one week ago on January 1st, up through the events of today and just explain to you what a crazy week it has truly been in the world uh, in the world in general, but we're going to focus now. No more politics, no more uh, royal family talk. We're going to just focus on football for the rest of this. What I need you to know before we get into this is I had a plan, okay? I did not put out a reaction to the Sugar Bowl last week. I didn't feel like the game in and of itself really necessitated an entire podcast, so I was waiting. What was I waiting for? I was waiting for Josh Donaldson news. I was waiting for Jake Fromm news. Uh, Actually, just today, I was having a conversation about the podcast for a national championship preview, and I was going to lump all of this stuff together. And then the world blew up, and 2020 showed just how drunk it could get. So we're going to start right after this short break, and we're going to start running through everything from the Sugar Bowl up until the events of this afternoon. So stick with me, and I promise you, you're going to be entertained. All right, let's talk about the Sugar Bowl. Um, So Georgia, of course, won the game 26-14, to and I'll just throw the statistics at you because they are impressive. Jake Fromm was 20 of 30 for 250 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Zamir White in his first opportunity to get consistent carries as a member of the Georgia football team. 18 carries, 92 yards, a touchdown. Very impressive. Most impressive, George Pickens. 12 receptions, 175 yards and a touchdown. Everything was right with the world. Throw on top of all of that that Georgia held Baylor and their high-powered offense to a season-low 14 points. And it felt like, even after the season that Georgia had and all the disappointment, that what I said in my Sugar Bowl preview about the Sugar Bowl not so much being a conclusion to the 2019 season, but rather a kickoff to the 2020 season, that's what it felt like it was going to be. 
When I went to bed after the Sugar Bowl, of course, I, like everybody else, was wondering about Jake Fromm. It, it started immediately. I can say that where I was watching the game and the people I was watching the game with, um, we all kind of raised eyebrows when after the game, when Holly Rowe was talking to Jake, he said something about um, – the, they, she asked him a question about the wide receivers, and his answer was something along the lines of, you know, they've got a lot of potential moving forward in the future. They're, they're going to have a good future, something like that. Uh, definitely was not a we statement. It was a they statement. Um, so my immediate response was, well, when the beat writers get to the locker room, the first question everybody's going to ask Jake is, uh, are you going pro? And to me, I kind of expected, based on that answer, that maybe his answer would be yes. We obviously didn't get an answer that night, and so that brings us from Wednesday, January 1st, into Thursday, January 2nd. And then I'm going to piggyback this with January 4th, because on those two days, there were two different high school All-American games being held. So on Thursday, we had the Under Armour All-American game, uh, in which there were two... UGA prospects that had been reported to have already signed their letter of intent to play at the University of Georgia, both five-star athletes. Um, Darnell Washington, the number one tight end in the country, a five-star tight end out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, this man is a man. A couple of the Georgia beat writers, and I've heard other people, I actually heard them say it on the broadcast, the most pro-ready tight end that anybody had seen a lot of guys are saying I've never seen an 18 year old kid with this kind of body with this kind of ability he's a Georgia Bulldog he announced during the Under Armour game that he had indeed committed to Georgia and he was going to be a dog uh, the other person that was supposed to commit during the Under Armour game was the number one running back in the country another five-star uh, Zach Evans Evans recruitment is too crazy to actually go into completely here but to say that it's been an up and down roller coaster kind of ride with Evans not just for Georgia but for Texas A&M and LSU uh, the other two teams that were really in on Evans as it's as it kind of narrowed it down to three Evans has been all over the place it was reported multiple times during the fall that he was set to announce his commitment two different times he announced on Twitter that he had set a commitment date only to come back the day before each of those specified dates and back out and say that he wasn't ready to commit yet. So it had been all over the board with this guy. But the report out of Athens was that on signing day, the 20th of December, Evans had filed his letter of intent with the University of Georgia. He was going to be a dog. And Georgia was keeping that commitment quiet so Evans could announce it during this game. About two hours before kickoff of the – of the Under Armour All-American game on Thursday, the reports came out that Evans would not be committing. Immediately, speculation, everything else going on, were, were the reports wrong? Maybe he hadn't signed a letter of intent. Maybe now he was just going to wait to the February signing date to declare his intention to go to school somewhere. Um, a lot of questions were being asked, but nobody had any answers. There was no information coming out of the Georgia camp, and the Georgia beat writers didn't seem to have any information that was reportable. Of course, these guys are always going to hear rumors, but especially in this day and age, it's very hard to understand 
and to really be able to decipher the difference between just, you know, Joe Bob at the coffee shop telling you what he thinks and then somebody that knows somebody that heard something and maybe that's a legitimate story. So uh, during the fourth quarter of this game, when Evans was supposed to announce his commitment, he does a sideline interview with the ESPN reporter with Deion Sanders, his coach for this game, sitting beside him. He apologizes, and I quote, to his college coaches. And he says, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm a good kid. I've made some mistakes, but I'm ready to play, and I'm ready to show that I am ready to grow up and take advantage of the opportunities that I've been given. Dion then follows up testifying how great the kid is and how everybody deserves second chances. Needless to say, this information only threw gasoline on the fire. It was even more weird now that a public apology was given by a player to his college coaches, whoever they are, uh, and obviously you start putting things together and just realizing that something had happened between Evans and Georgia that had now put his commitment to the UGA in limbo. So we go from Thursday night and the great news about the commitment of Darnell Washington, the absolutely crazy lack of a commitment announcement from Zach Evans, and then we go into Saturday in the Army All-American game where Keely Ringo, the number one uh, safety in the country, a five-star recruit out of Arizona, commits to the University of Georgia, pushing Georgia, even without Zach Evans' commitment, to the number two spot right behind Clemson in the, uh, the 247 composite rankings. Um, I don't like to talk a lot of recruiting on this podcast because Georgia's been recruiting at a really high level and they don't actually hand out rings for recruiting. So uh, we talk a little recruiting in the context of what it means, you know, throw some names at you, but we don't get obsessed with it here just because I don't think the average fan um, really wants to spend too much time hearing names that they may never care about. Uh, The reason I'm talking so much recruiting here is just to kind of put in context what a crazy week it really has been for Georgia. So we were supposed to get commitments from three five-star recruits, all of which were the top-rated player in their position in the country. We get two of those, but the third stays in limbo. So between the third, Friday, and January 7th, which was Tuesday, we have Solomon Kinley and DeAndre Swift officially announcing that they are heading to the NFL draft. But then you have all of these people on defense, Richard LeCount, Monty Rice, Eric Stokes. Everybody on defense is coming back, but we're losing some key people on offense. So with Kinley's announcement, it was already known that Isaiah Wilson, Andrew Thomas, and Solomon Kinley, three starters uh, from last year's offensive line, the greatest offensive line in the history of football, according to everyone who ever lazily commentated a UGA football game this year. But three of the key players on that offensive line were moving on to the NFL. And then later in the day on January 7th, this was Tuesday, um, I actually had the fortune of going to the UGA Kentucky uh, basketball game here in Athens last night. It was an amazing atmosphere. Obviously, if you don't know, Uh, Georgia was not able to hang on and and win that game. Kentucky won a 13th straight game over Georgia in basketball. Um, But it was a complete sellout. It was, I've been to many basketball games in Stegman, but it was by far the most amazing 
atmosphere I've ever been a part of as far as college basketball goes. And just because of the context, the the size of the building, the intensity of the crowd, one of the most amazing sports atmospheres I've ever been a part of. It was really electric and also hotter than Seven Hills in uh, Stegman Coliseum last night. But as we, as I was on the way to the game, I get the ESPN alert that read just this. ESPN reports Georgia loses top running back. When you read the story, the story is that the University of Georgia had actually released, unconditionally released Zach Evans from his letter of intent, meaning he was free to sign with any school of his choosing. So this report tells us a lot about the Zach Evans situation. Kirby Smart, nobody with the university has officially said anything about Zach Evans, and they never will because now he is a recruit that is not committed to the University of Georgia, and it's actually a recruiting violation for Kirby or anybody else affiliated with the university to comment on a player uh, that is not committed to you. So even through the entire recruitment process, you're not going to get a college coach to talk about any player they're interested in until that letter of intent is signed. But the story, when you really flesh it out, is Zach Evans did on December 20th file his paperwork and commit to play at the University of Georgia. Something happened after that that stopped Georgia from accepting his letter of intent. This decision was made by the University of Georgia and Kirby Smart to not accept Evans commitment. So why in the world would anybody not accept the commitment of a guy you've pursued for, you know, two years now, who is the consensus number one running back in the country, five-star prospect, dynamic in his play? Well, the answer is simply that he has had a lot of issues in high school. He had been suspended a couple of different times. There was a lot of rumors, and I'm not going to say any specific rumors here about things that he had gotten in trouble throughout high school, uh, you know, just maybe not the best uh, character person that you could possibly bring into your program. But it turned out that it seemingly the straw that broke the camel's back for Kirby Smart and the University of Georgia was the fact that uh, leading up to a high school playoff game sometime after his letter of intent had been signed. Uh, his high school coach asked for all the players to turn in their cell phones. Apparently this is a very normal part of either they, their game day prep or some aspect of their normal prep for a playoff game. Evans refused to give the coach his phone and was subsequently suspended and did not play in his team's final playoff game as a high school senior. Apparently, that caused Georgia's coaches just to reassess the entire situation. There would have been some sort of communication between the coaches and Evans that they were either completely done with him or they were thinking about being done with him, which prompted his on-air nationally televised apology to his college coaches. At that time, he had a letter of intent signed to the University of Georgia, so it's only logical that he was speaking directly to Kirby Smart and the other coaches at the University of Georgia, trying to convince them to allow him to come to Athens to play for the Dogs, and the final decision was made by the university that they were not going to accept his letter of intent. So, all of that drama wraps up last night as I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 8th. So that is what happened from the Sugar Bowl through last night, Georgia's loss at home here in Athens to Kentucky, and 
as ESPN would have you believe, Georgia losing the top running back in the country as far as a recruit goes when the real story is that Georgia allowed this young man to seek other opportunities. Um, That brings us to today. I'm going to catch my breath for a second, and we'll come back in just a second and talk about what can only be described as one of the most bizarre days in the history of Georgia football. Some of you who are listening to this might not know this, but January 8th is actually my birthday. So this is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on January 8th when I am recording this. Um, It is my 35th birthday, and it seems crazy to say, but 35... This morning has felt a little bit weird. Uh, I do not see myself as an adult, but at this point in my life, I guess I probably am as as much of an adult as I'm ever going to be. All that said, the significance of today uh, is very little in the uh, world of Georgia football, has nothing to do with my birthday and everything to do that today is the two-year anniversary of the national championship game lost to Alabama. That was on 1-8-2018. As a good friend of mine pointed out, very quickly after that game ended, uh, the game ended after midnight, so Georgia has never lost a national championship game on my birthday. They have actually lost a championship game on the 9th, but that game started on the 8th, and it has been two years from today since that really sad loss for University of Georgia against Alabama. Uh, This afternoon, I was making plans and kind of thinking about Uh, podcast this weekend preparing everyone for the national championship game next Monday night between LSU and Clemson trying to come up with some uh, some fun ideas and maybe trying something new and that's still coming but uh, at 1 32 p.m. Jake Fromm tweeted that he is leaving the University of Georgia foregoing his senior season and declaring himself eligible for the 29th or sorry the 2020 NFL draft um We are going on this podcast, we are going to talk more about Jake Fromm, and we're going to come in on the other side of it next week after the national championship game and talk about the complete picture of the quarterback position moving forward for the University of Georgia. There's so much that I could get into right now, and I really don't want to bog this podcast down with all of the back and forth that people feel about Jake Fromm. But I can give you some facts. Jake Fromm is the first quarterback since 1980 to lead the University of Georgia to a national championship game. He won an SEC championship. He is the third winningest quarterback in the history of the University of Georgia. His 35 wins tie him with Aaron Murray uh, for third on that list. Uh, Anybody that's a significant UGA fan would know that uh, Aaron Murray played for the University of Georgia for four years and won 35 games. Jake Fromm, obviously only going to play for Georgia three years and won 35 games. Uh, Extremely impressive. The number one player on that list is David Green, 42 wins. So it's only logical to assume that had Fromm come back, he would have ended up being the all-time winningest quarterback in University of Georgia history. Um, These are the facts. Now, there's a lot of opinions about Jake Fromm. Specifically coming off the 2019 season, everybody in their brother had an opinion about Jake Fromm, and nobody's opinion seemed to be reasonable or thought through. It was either Jake Fromm's greatest quarterback in the history of the University of Georgia, and the 
offensive coordinator, James Coley, sucks, and the running backs suck, and the offensive line sucks, or our offense is great, and Jake Fromm sucks, and go ahead and throw in the piece that you cannot get away from when you talk about Jake Fromm and the University of Georgia offense in 2019, the fact that we had a Heisman Trophy finalist that had transferred last year from the University of Georgia that was backing up Jake Fromm, you're never going to be able to have a conversation about Jake Fromm and his career at Georgia without talking about Justin Fields. So those are all of the things that I think I want to flesh out, not so much today, but you know, over the next few weeks as the calendar kind of turns into a, a much harder uh, task to produce a, a podcast. I feel like I could do a full podcast on Jake Fromm and the quarterback situation at Georgia. So that's coming. The only thing we can say is time will tell what Jake Fromm meant to this team, what he could have meant going forward, and we're going to find out in 2020, no matter what happens, whether it's a grad transfer, whether it's a freshman, whether Dewan Mathis, the freshman this year who took a red shirt because of a medical issue that he had, if he comes in and plays – if the scheme offensively changes, if the, uh, the, the philosophy on the offensive side of the football changes, a lot of our opinions long-term about Jake Fromm are going to be kind of molded given the context of 2020 and beyond for this team, I believe. Uh, much like you know, a president or a, a significant figure in history you know, or even in popular culture, sometimes full appreciation or full context of who that person was and what they meant in a certain period of time cannot be made in the Twitter instant reaction world that we live in right now. Uh, I have my personal feelings about Jake Fromm and I look forward to sharing those with you. That was at 1.32 p.m., okay? So as soon as I saw that tweet come across my mind, I immediately start looking. You know, the uh, I'm a subscriber to UGASports.com. Uh, they immediately throw out a story saying here are the top grad transfer uh, options that Georgia is going to pursue because basically there's no chance. Kirby Smart is going to go into next year with the team that he is going to have on the field, especially the defense that he's going to be able to put on the field with a, you know, a true freshman quarterback unless that true freshman wins the job. He, we're not just going to roll in you know, kind of 2016 style. Well, Eason's going to be the quarterback because there's nobody else here. You know, that, that's what 2016 was. Kirby Smart's not doing that again. He's going to bring in some experienced guys, let them compete. And I said guys. I think there will be more than one grad transfer that comes in this offseason. Let them compete with Carson Beck and Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis. And then he's going to pick a quarterback out of a lot of options. There's not going to be a de facto quarterback because Kirby didn't give himself any options with a team that otherwise could be a national championship contender. I'm, I'm digging into all of that, and I'm thinking, okay, now I've got my wish. I've, I've got a, a full podcast that I can put out this weekend um, between the National Championship Game preview. You know, maybe I get lucky and Josh Donaldson signs in the next couple of days, but I got my Jake Fromm story. We got the Sugar Bowl wrap-up to do. Let's go. And then, out of nowhere, 2020 shows us just how drunk it is. At 1.38 p.m., and I went back and looked it up, Matt Zenith, you don't know who he is, and he doesn't matter at all, but he works for AL.com. It's a, uh, a website out of uh, Alabama that covers sports. He covers Alabama and Auburn football. I don't know how he got this story before everybody else, 
But from what I can tell, he was the first person to report that Cade Mays, the University of Georgia's starting left tackle just one week ago in the Sugar Bowl, had entered the transfer portal. Now, this is one of those things that had the Fromm announcement not come, it would have made me go, what? Huh? And immediately go to the internet to try to find as much information as I possibly could because there was there had to be a story here. When it happened, you know, I didn't see Matt Zenith. I don't follow him on Twitter. I didn't see his story. I see somebody else retweet his story. Seth Emerson of The Athletic retweeted his story about 10 minutes after in real time, 10 minutes after Jake Fromm's announcement. Um, and it just felt like the world was caving in. It, it felt like here we are, we're losing recruits, we're, we're, we're not taking guys. We've, our whole offensive line is either going to the draft or transferring. Our quarterback, who seemingly was a four-year guy, and that was my perception of Jake Fromm. I think that was a lot of people's perception of Jake Fromm. All of a sudden, he's going to the draft. In the last two years, nine offensive players have left early to go to the draft. Uh, if we wonder why we are having trouble on offense, well, there's your answer right there. Nine players lost to the draft in the last two years. Uh, those are juniors. Those aren't seniors who are graduating and going. We've lost more guys uh, through graduation. But in college, you expect that. To lose nine juniors on that side of the ball is absolutely crazy, especially when you juxtapose that in the last two years, the number of defensive players we've lost to the draft is absolutely zero. Nobody's left early. So I immediately just try to start, you know, I have a conversation with my brother. I have a phone conversation with, uh, with Kirk, one of my other friends. You know, I'm tweeting, pe- or not tweeting, I'm texting people back and forth and just trying to figure it out. And then about an hour and a half ago, now about two hours ago, Anthony Dasher of UGASports.com publishes a story that gives uh, a little more context to Cade Mays' decision to enter the transfer portal. ESPN is reporting that Cade Mays will transfer to Tennessee, Tennessee being his father's alma mater where he was a team captain uh, back in the, I believe it was the late 80s or early 90s. Um, It was a huge get for UGA when Mays, who was, as I said, a Tennessee legacy, um, chose, who lived in Knoxville, chose to leave Tennessee, not, uh, not commit to the University of Tennessee, but rather to the University of Georgia. He was very outspoken against Tennessee fans who kind of lashed out to him. And now the story is that that's where he's going to end up. Uh, the significance of that, obviously, for Georgia is yet another loss on the offensive line. But even if you just look at it from Mays' point of view, he is a sophomore this year, a true sophomore. Going into his junior year, he is a very talented and he was a five-star, highly recruited offensive lineman who theoretically could have had one more year and then declared for the NFL draft. Rather than doing that, if he does end up going to Tennessee, and as I record this around 5 o'clock now on uh, Wednesday afternoon, that has not been confirmed, so things may change. But if Tennessee is his landing spot, no matter... If he tries to file a waiver, uh, because he is staying in the SEC, Mays will be ineligible to play next year. So this decision will cost Mays a year of playing time on the field. Now, he'll still have two years of eligibility after he sits out a year as almost kind of a penalty for transferring. But he will not be able, or he would be theoretically able to go to the NFL draft because he would be three years removed from high school. But it's a very interesting decision for somebody that is 
a year away from draft eligibility to take an absolute year where he will not be able to play if he does, in fact, end up at Tennessee or any SEC school in 2020. So the question is, for a guy like Mays, who had played a lot, he played a lot as a freshman, he played even more as a sophomore, he started the Sugar Bowl, and he was the presumptive left tackle for the University of Georgia heading into 2020, what happened? I'm going to read this directly from the story from Anthony Dasher on UGASports.com because I don't think I could do it justice without just reading it. So here we go. I quote Dasher's article here. According to the athens Clark County Clerk of Court online site, on December 5th, 2019, Mays' father, James Kevin Mays, and mother Melinda filed suit claiming damages. After the father had part of his right pinky finger partially amputated when a folding chair wedged it, the finger, against a column. The report read that May's pinky shot across the floor and was picked up by former offensive line coach Sam Pittman, who put the severed appendage on ice. who put the severed appendage on ice. The accident occurred two years ago on December 15th, 2017, during the Mays family's official visit to Georgia. It is unclear if Mays' decision to leave Athens took place after the lawsuit was found. Okay. Cade Mays' father and mother are suing the University of Georgia in athens Clark County Superior Court for damages. They are also suing the chair manufacturer based on this injury that happened two years ago before Cade Mays or right around the time Cade Mays committed to playing at the University of Georgia, but before he had taken a single snap as a UGA player. Maybe you were wondering as I was working through the rest of this podcast if I really was right when I said that 2020 was drunk. But I think it is fair to say that when an offensive lineman that was going to be a starter next year leaves your team because his father's pinky shot across the floor on his official recruiting visit and was picked up by our former offensive line coach who just left to take the head job at Arkansas, I think we can say 2020's had a couple and maybe a couple too many. This is without a doubt the most insane story I have ever heard and if this truly is the reason that Cade Mays is not going to be playing for the Georgia Bulldogs next year, I don't know what to say. I mean, if you want to talk about the on-field implications, as I've already said, the offensive line that was excellent in pass block protecting this year and I think very fairly criticized in run blocking in 2019 is going to look completely different in 2020. At this point, the only starter or even really just the only the player that – will be back that played in most games from 2019 is going to be your center, Trey Hill. Who knows if he's even the center anymore? He may have to move to another position, but we're going to have a completely rebuilt offensive line, a new starting running back, and a new starting quarterback. And as sobering as that thought is, 
the fact that this insane pinky story could play a part of that entire situation is absolutely insane. I don't know if this is the reason. It seems like if your parents are, are suing the University of Georgia Athletic Association, it would make sense that you would no longer play for that athletic association. So I, I can't imagine that the lawsuit doesn't have something to do with Mays entering the transfer portal and ultimately leaving the University of Georgia. But I think there's a lot of information that we don't have yet that I would like to know. We started Mays at left tackle in the Sugar Bowl. When did Kirby find out that Cade's parents had sued? I mean, obviously the suit was filed in early December, according to this report. But when did Kirby find out about that? I mean, we we were already missing 400,000 players for the Sugar Bowl. Do you think we would have taken a guy we knew was transferring at the time? It, it feels like Cade probably didn't let Georgia know until after the Sugar Bowl that he was going to be entering the transfer portal. And then given the situation between his parents and the Athletic Association, who knows if Cade ever talked to Kirby Smart. This story, on top of the fact that Jake Fromm left, on top of the fact that Zach Evans, not only did he not end up, or he he did commit, but he's not going to play for Georgia, and it was Georgia's decision not to take the number one court running back in the country. On top of the fact that we got two other five stars, on top of the fact that we won the Sugar Bowl, but that doesn't seem to matter at all now because the entire team is gone for one reason or a number, or another, sorry, number, digit, finger, I can't get myself past all of this. I debated with myself for just about two or three seconds whether or not to record this while I was so fired up. But I think, I hope you've enjoyed it. This is just me. This is where I'm at. I have been all over Twitter. I've been all over everything for the last little while trying to find out more information. I know that most of the people that listen to this podcast are not going to spend hours researching these stories and figuring out what actually happened. That's why I do this podcast. I do it, one, just to get all of this energy out. But the other reason is because I know there are people who love Georgia, who love uh, Georgia football, want to have this information, but don't have the time to be able to put into all of the research that I try to put into the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode today. I got to tell you, I'll be back later this week. going to try some fun stuff. Um, At this point, the plan is to uh, release another podcast on Friday, previewing the national championship game from, uh, from coming up on Monday. Um, however, if the last four or so hours are any indication of what is to come, my expectation is that tomorrow Josh Donaldson will sign to be, uh, the new lead batsman for the Manchester cricket team over in England. Uh, because I don't know, I don't know what could happen at this point to make 2020 more drunk, but given the last seven days, the only thing to expect at this point is that something will happen that will just make you throw your hands up and go, I didn't think it could get any weirder than a pinky on the floor at a recruiting visit, but maybe it can. Despite everything that's happened, of course, still bleed red black, as I'm sure most of you that listen to this do. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, go dogs. <laughs>